we know a little bit more about you. And uh, this is actually part one of the two-part service we're having today. As Josh mentioned to you, we have a baptism celebration at our gathering, and I really want to encourage you to come out for that at 3.30 this afternoon. So, we've been in a series called Epic, and today we sort of, in one sense, are going to bring it to a close. Epic has to do with story. And so if you're going to bring a story to a close, then you better get her wrapped up so you understand the context of the big story. Epic has to do with what God's doing in all the world. You see, each, and I, each of us have our own little epic going on. But we fit into the larger epic of what God's doing. And if we don't understand that story, then it's hard for us to understand our story. And all of life is about a story. Anybody have a birthday this week? Anyone? How about this month? Oh, don't be shy. I'm not going to make you, you're not going to sing happy birthday to you. Birthday this week, we got it? There you go. Now, I don't know about you, but every birthday is sort of like a new chapter in your story. And every week is like a new paragraph in your story. And you don't know what's going to be written fully about your story moving forward. You try to control your story. You try to write your story in one sense. But there's some things that inevitably you can't control that end up writing your story. But the uncertainty of your story, maybe from week to week, year to year, gets stabilized when you understand the larger story of what God is doing. And we're going to give some reference to that, hopefully, as we walk through this morning. Because I see an awful lot of anxiety in our world today. Anxiety about what's going to happen, what's next. Troublesome worry about, you know, your own particular story, whether it's with finances, relationships, whatever it may be. But there's something about the epic story of God that just stabilizes the context of everything that your small story, smaller story is being written into. And so epic, the kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. When we started out a few weeks ago, we gave the CS, I mean the uh, Tolkien quote from the Lord of the Rings, I wonder what sort of tale we've all fallen into. And it comes out of uh, his epic of the Lord of the Rings, as he writes it, and Middle Earth and all that's involved with that, that's an epic. And some of you were really excited when we used the video clip that first Sunday. It's like, can we just do more of those kinds of things rather than you? I don't know. Friends, this book right here has something far more incredible than the Lord of the Rings, even with someone like Tolkien or with uh, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, who, who the back shadow of it really has some to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God epic literally changes and transforms your story. But what type of tale have we fallen into? I like what uh, Frederick Beechner says out of telling the truth. Listen to this. Because we're talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a tale. It's a tale that all of us have fallen into. He says, it is a world of magic and mystery, of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen and wonderful things too. It is a world where goodness is pitted against evil, love against hate, 
order against chaos. In a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs to which side, because appearances are endlessly deceptive. Yet for all its confusion and wildness, it is a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good, who live happily ever after, and where the long run, in the long run, everybody, good and evil alike, becomes known by his true name. This is the fairy tale of the gospel with, of course, one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it is that it is true. That it has not only happened once upon a time, but it's kept on happening ever since and is happening still. Do you know what's behind that curtain? Some of you do. Do you know what's behind that curtain? Some of you do. If you want to know in reality what's behind those curtains, a lot of racks that need to be organized. (laughs) But it's almost like the kingdom of God. There's a curtain between us and the ultimate reality, the ultimate story, the ultimate epic, the fairy tale that is truly true. And sometimes we just need to come and we need to pull back the curtain and say, hey, this is the real world. And the real world is much bigger than our myopic world that we're focused on day in and day out. But it's a wonderful world. It's an incredible world. It's a world filled with not really magic, but the supernatural. And you and I live in a supernatural world with natural lives, at least right now, but we are promised that these lives can shed and give way to a supernatural life. In fact, the scriptures say that when we die, we will gain immortal bodies for eternity, and that eternity will either be with the Lord in His presence, Christ in His presence, or absent from the presence of Christ. This is our destiny. But it's not only our destiny, it's our reality now in which to live. And I want to continue to help pull back the curtain and give context because we mentioned last week, perspective builds purpose in our life. And the perspective on the kingdom of God, and we've labored on it for a few weeks, needs to be grabbed a hold so that we can have lives that are truly changed and transformed on a daily basis and we can bring hope and give hope to others. When we started a few weeks ago, we started with this passage in Titus. Titus 2, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. Now that's what you would expect to hear in a message at a church in America on a Sunday morning, at least an evangelical Bible teaching church, is, is going to teach about we need to be saved. There's salvation that we need to have. And salvation is available to all people. And this salvation is going to lead us to want to live righteously, to live good and upright and godly lives because, well, we sort of live in a tough place. But the Apostle Paul, on the end of this, then begins to pull back the curtain 
He begins to pull back the curtain and say, we need to live, uh, uh, you know, by saying no to ungodliness and worldly passion, self-controlled, upright, godly in this present age. And then he pulls back the curtain a little bit. I changed the diagram today a little bit just to throw you off. The kingdom of God, there is a present age. But if there's a present age, then that would mean is they're not a coming age. And you would hope, wouldn't you hope that the coming age is better than this one? And so it's on a higher plane, a different level. But God exists in eternity. He created time. He created space. He created the worlds that we live in. He created this earth. And there's a present age that's going on, and you live in that present age. And by God's grace, and we get to celebrate it today with baptisms. People have chosen to be followers of Jesus Christ. They've been saved. They've been redeemed from their sins. They've been given hope for a new life, right? Not just future, but present. The present age, salvation. Oh, the present age is difficult, but we need to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Not because God wants to kill our joy, but it's great to live as God intended. He's the master creator. He created us. Wouldn't he know how he functioned best? And so we study the word. We come to church. We preach about salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's only part of this bigger story of the kingdom of God because the present age will give way someday to the coming age or the age to come. And so the curtain's pulled back and, and Paul says, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And that blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. God's at work. And what God's at work doing is not just redeeming individuals. Thank you, Jesus, for my redemption personally. But he's redeeming a body of people. And it's not just a body of people in a locality like the Temecula Valley. It's not a body of people just in America. It's not just a body of people around the world. It's people from every tribe, language, and nation. He is bringing them together to be what Scripture refers to as the bride of Christ, or we've referred to as the community of the King. And so we fill in the timeline a little bit with uh, these kinds of big events, right? There was creation, and after creation was the fall. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. You have the whole Old Testament in the present age, right? And In the present age, they were struggling a lot of times, and God was trying to redeem them. They were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for a coming kingdom. They were longing when all things would be made right. And you can work your way through Old Testament scriptures and can find this longing, and then behold... Jesus comes. Jesus comes, the first coming of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, and then the ascension. 
But it's all still a part of the present age. And so the phrase, while we wait for the blessed hope, that's exactly where we're all, we are, right? Where's the X on the timeline? You know, you are here. Here's where you're at. And so we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Well, what are we waiting on? We're waiting on what we were promised, that Jesus Christ would return. And he'd return not as the meek and lowly Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary from Nazareth and establishing, you know, his rule and reign in a small way, but the significant way here on earth. We're waiting for him to come and the great clouds part the sky and he returns, as Scripture teaches. So we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you waiting on that hope? Did you have any anticipation this weekend? Did you even think about it this week that maybe... The paragraph this week is the last paragraph of the chapter before he comes. I remember when I was in college at Christian University, and, and I was in a, actually an environment and man class a number of years ago, and, and the professor, he threw out the question. He says, how many of you think Jesus Christ is coming back in your lifetime? How many think Jesus Christ is coming back after your lifetime? And how many of you think Jesus Christ is coming back in the next 10 years? Now, it was a telling question, but I was a little bit troubled. I'm one who has always expected Jesus Christ to return any moment. So I'm like, 10 years, man. I'd like to get married. I'd like to do that deal. But, you know, wait off Jesus. But 10 years. You know, that's what I'm thinking as a young adult. Not many people thought it was 10 years. Well, it's been definitely 10 years and more. But is there any less anticipation that it could be this week? You see, when Paul wrote these words, while we wait for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of great, there was an anticipation it, that was, and it was palatable on their, their lips and their mouth because Jesus had just ascended to the heavens. And though Paul didn't physically uh, see Jesus and with him, Jesus appeared to him uh, on the road to Damascus when he was converted and all that was a part of his story. They thought Jesus was coming back any time. They didn't see what we now understand as sort of the church age, the gap living between the times of the present age and the coming age that we've talked about. But they thought Jesus was coming back. And sometimes I fear that what happens in our churches today and in the community of Christ, the community of the King, is we come very, become very lackadaisical and blasé. It's been so long. In fact, I remember once hearing a comedian go, yeah, Jesus was around 2,000 years ago, and he said he was coming back. It's been 2,000 years. He ain't coming back. And I just thought, how foolish. Scripture teaches, because we live in time and space, we understand time, but Scripture teaches with God, one day is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day, and so Jesus really has only been gone two days in his mind. Jesus is coming back, and we wait for the blessed hope, and we should always be a body that anticipates the Lord's return. In fact, the movement that we're a part of as a church, the Christian Missionary Alliance, was based upon this anticipation of Christ returning and us needing to be about the gospel effort, which we're going to give reference to in a second. But that was the waiting for the blessed hope, and that's where Paul found himself. 
They were not sitting around twiddling their thumbs, just doing whatever. They were busy about doing God's kingdom and telling people the story of what Jesus did to be able to change and transform their lives, to redeem them out of the present uh, godless, wicked age and, and bring God to have a people of his very own. But Jesus is coming back, and we long and anticipate for the second coming of Christ. And Scripture teaches that when Christ comes back, he is going to do a redo. I'm not quite sure how he does it. You know, it talks sometimes about fire destroying the earth, those kinds of things. It's not going to be a flood anymore. But God's going to do a major home remodeling project. (laughs) And he's going to take it back to better than it was in the Garden of Eden. And it's not just going to be the new earth that we're a part of. We are also going to be able to be a part of a new heaven. And I don't know the teleportation kind of thing and all that's going to happen, whatever. But friends, you and I get to participate in the new heaven and the new earth. Part of me today just wanted to take time and go to the last chapter of Revelation where it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. I took time to do it this week and I thought, that's really great news. And that's a part of my story. I'm a country boy, and I like big uh, nature, long-distance views, but, you know, I can deal with a new city that I have to live in called Jerusalem, especially if the presence of Jesus is tangible there. Streets of gold, which are uh, just pure, material, and reflective of God's glory. No no need for a sun because there's no night or day and god wipes every tear away from our eyes as we read last week and that's going to be a beautiful season in the new heaven and the new earth and we will get to be a part of it not as self-centered individuals that build our own little huts and say no nobody come to my door we get to be a part of the community of the king a people that are his very own forwarding his purposes throughout all of eternity and scripture teaches that we will be co-heirs with christ that we will rule and reign with him it says that we will uh, rule over cities or we'll judge angels there's there's a lot of incredible stuff that's sort of thrown out the way of hey those who are redeemed and followers of jesus christ this is your future this is what's behind the curtain but I live in a pretty hard world, Carrie. I appreciate that, and it's nice to come and get cheered on. And man, I love the songs today, Joe, because they were tying into the theme of the day. But it's a hard go, and maybe you've had a hard go this week. Well, I can't change your circumstances. And God may not choose to change your circumstances. A lot of times he works through our circumstances for us to become more like Christ. But what I can do is I can call you out to have the grander perspective of the epic story so that your small story, your chapter, your paragraph that's being written this week can have the context of the greater kingdom of God so that you can deal with whatever comes your way. Some of you know that my mother, who's 89 fell a number of weeks ago, a couple, three months ago now or whatever, broke her L4. She's lived in the same farmhouse that I've grown up in, and whenever I go back to Indiana, where I'm from in the Midwest, I go back to the same room I grew up in. My mom prepares a meal. The farm operation, uh, the big farm corporation that we're from is going on, and all the semis and the tractors and the, and the equipment and 
and the field preparations, all that goes on. And it's just sort of a great world that I walk back into that still is, is the same pretty much as what I grew up with. My dad died five, six years ago, but mom's been doing well. She's still sharp as can be, and, and she uh, loves Jesus, and, and uh, she was the piano player at the church growing up and all those kinds of things. But uh, her story took a little bit more of a challenging turn the last week. In fact, I was on a conference call Thursday with my four siblings who were in my mom's hospital room because she went in for a checkup for her heart issues, not just the back issues, but she's been in there and they wanted to have a conference call to talk to us about what's going to be next for mom. And they wanted to talk about hospice care. Well, that is not a good paragraph to read in your story. What do you mean? Mom's doing okay. I mean, yeah, she's, she's going to get her strength back, and she's had congestive heart issues, but she's navigated those. Why are we having some all-in meeting about hospice care? In fact, I'm flying back to Indiana tomorrow night on a red eye, and there's a Tuesday meeting in the same hospital room, and we're going to have to make decisions. I'd planned this trip back and going back to, like I told you last week, and going back for a 40-year high school reunion kind of thing. But I'm like, wait a second, that wasn't the chapter. I just wanted to fly home, see family, come back, take Levi with me, one of my sons. And so the story's changing. But, but because I know what's behind the curtain, because I know the bigger context of what's going on, though I have been sad this week, and I better stop talking about because I start crying up here in front of you, and that wouldn't be good. Things will never be the same. You've experienced that. Some of you are experiencing it right now. You think you have all these years, but then they seem so brief after it's all over. It's like, wow, the family pictures. And I, I really? I don't know. My mom may be able to come through it and maybe have many more good months, maybe a year. I don't know. Or I could get a phone call. It's one of those times in my life now that I don't want to see a phone call from one of my siblings. <laughs> and when they get on the phone, they say right away, now, everything's okay. Okay, good. What's up? The context of the kingdom of God, though, helps me see my sadness be balanced with gladness. And we need that in life, no matter what you're going through this morning. Challenges and all. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's family-related, relationship-related. But in the context of the bigger kingdom of God story, we have the chance to see things with eternal eyes and bring hope and gladness even into dark situations. We wait for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from all wickedness and is preparing for himself a people of his very own. My mom said this week, she says, well, this is not necessarily my choice. I, to I told you a few weeks ago that she says I'm ready, but I'm not willing kind of idea. But she says, you know, if that's what Jesus wants, then that's okay. That's okay. We're trying to decide, well, at the hospice, do you go back to the rehab uh, nursing home and try to work on things. You do home health care. Some of you know what this whole world's like. 
or, or, or do we take you home? And we can do home health care there, right? Or we could do hospice care there, whatever, all these decisions. And, and she just said, you know, I think I would like to go home. And so we're going to do everything in her effort. And I'm going to be a hospice care person probably this week is what I'm going to be. And I'm glad I can serve that way. But she, my mom is mindful of the kingdom of God. And so though she's ready and not willing, she will defer to, if it's not my will, it's your will, Lord, be done. And there's peace that comes in my mom's soul. She's not in a pain, really. Her back's doing better. She senses maybe when heart issues are happening with her. You know, she just felt bad the other day when doctors in and out talking, conference calls. She says, I guess that nobody knows what to do with me. The kingdom of God gives me hope that it wouldn't be the end for my mom, right? And as quickly as life is going, it's just going to be a few brief years anyway. And we will all be gathered together as the community of the king. And there's something rich about that. And then there's something that redefines everything else about my life. Yes, it would be nice to acquire that level of, you name it, Success, finances, status. But in the big picture of things, it really doesn't matter. So if I ask you today sort of a blunt question, what are you pursuing right now that really doesn't matter when the curtain's pulled back and we understand the kingdom of God? But then the flip side, like we talked about last week, if we can know now what we know, we'll know then, what really would matter? I want to just drill down a little bit more on this kingdom context. We said last week in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul said, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, the Christ's resurrection. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, the first resurrection. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And we put that on the timeline, the context, that as we wait for the blessed hope, it's on the other side of Christ's resurrection. That's why we have hope. He was the first fruits. He was the first fruit to be picked from the tree. If Christ was raised, then we can be raised. And so when he comes back again, Scripture teaches that the dead in Christ will rise first to meet the Lord. Then we who are still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we remain with him forever in 1 Thessalonians 4. And so the first resurrection of the, the believers in Christ, and then Scripture seems to teach what's called a millennium, which is a thousand year, a thousand year reign. And then there's the second resurrection of all people and the great white throne judgment we looked at last week and then the new heaven and new earth. So there's sort of that season coming in the, the coming age and a lot of people can get bent out of shape about all the details here and that's fine to discuss those and to study those, pull back the curtain exactly what's going to be happening. I got into that. It was one of the ways that I, when I was a young person, really got enthralled about Jesus Christ and living for him was about his kingdom and what was going to happen in the end times. There's a lot of debate about that, but the only thing you really need to debate is, is Jesus Christ coming back again, yes or no? Yes. And can he come back at any moment, what's called the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Yes. Scripture's adamant about those two. Okay? So you just need to understand that, and then when we are catapulted into the coming age, it is a whole new scene. A whole new scene. But the coming age has invaded the present age in Christ. 
And this is where the hope comes for us, not only about those who pass away from this life and the life that is to come, but there's something about the life that is to come, the coming age that has now come into our present age and gives you hope for your struggle, your challenge, your problem, your despair, your discouragement today. And that is the kingdom of God has invaded the present age when Jesus Christ came into this age. And that's a big deal because here's the reality. Eternity has already started. Even though you see the challenges around you and the fallenness of the world, Jesus has brought his kingdom in our midst and his kingdom is actively happening now. The coming age has invaded the present age in Christ. Thus, we are living in the presence of the future. Now, let me pull the curtain back on that one. How many of you think about that every day? We already are living in the presence of the future because we live on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The people that were in the Old Testament way back in, they didn't get to live in what we get to live in. They longed for the Messiah, Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus, but they longed for the Messiah to come, for the new kingdom to be established, political reign, where Israel would have you know, sanity and they, they would have peace because they lived in a lot of turmoil and challenge and war and brokenness. They longed for it. But we get to live on this side of the resurrection of Christ. So we are already participating in this credible journey called the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, we said those are the words that Jesus said, the first words recorded in Matthew, which is the first gospel we believe that was written. Jesus, his first words, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe because the kingdom had to do with his kingship, had to do with his rule and his reign. And it wasn't that he was going to destroy the political ranks. He was going to establish his reign in the hearts and lives of people first by them choosing to be followers of him in humility and repentance and brokenness. And so the death on the cross and the resurrection, the challenge that we would be saved in this present age is the kingdom of God working in the hearts and lives of people. And if you want to see the kingdom of God happening, then let's labor to see it happen in the lives of our friends. Because you don't get experience the new heaven and the new earth in the presence of Christ unless the kingdom of God has come within your life in this day and age. You, I, need to repent, turn, follow Jesus Christ. You reign in my life as leader, as Lord, as my Savior. And many of you made that decision. Maybe if you've never made that decision in your life, I'd encourage you today, you can make that decision. When we have baptisms this afternoon, you know, there's some testimonies a little bit here and there that maybe be shared with people. They don't have to share. If you, in fact, if you want to be baptized today and you want to talk to me afterwards, that's cool. Let's talk. But, you know, one of the things that's going to happen when they're immersed in the water and then they're raised from the water, buried in the old life, raised to the new life, the articulation they will verbally declare is, I believe. This I believe. I believe Jesus is who he says. He rose from the grave and he is my leader, my savior. The kingdom of God has come within them. We're experiencing a transcendent moment. Not that baptism saves you. It's the outward sign of an inner decision of salvation when Jesus Christ saves you. But you're like, wow, the kingdom of God has come within that person. And so when they come up out of the water, what do we do? We cheer, we celebrate because they're being obedient to the command to be baptized. See, some of you right now that have not been baptized, you need to talk to me afterwards. 
Because this is a great moment today. And it's not like, oh, I've got to get my act together. Or, oh, I've been a Christian for a long time. I'd be really embarrassed. No. Follow the Lord in the obedient sacrament of baptism. It's talking about this new life, this salvation, this day and age in which we get to live because the kingdom of God is at hand. The future has invaded the present in the hearts and lives of individuals. When he comes again, as we wait for the blessed hope, then things really start to rock and roll and change. But we are already living in light of eternity in the future. 1 Corinthians goes on to say this in verse 22, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's why my mom, though she may pass, there's that hope of the resurrection. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? It says in 1 Corinthians 15 later. And then in Revelation 20, we say, the angel came down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Hello, Carrie. What's going on here? Well, don't you know? Any good epic always has a villain and the villain was the archangel lucifer who thought he could usurp his position and receive worship in heavens and i don't know before the creation of the heaven and earth somewhere lucifer was cast out of the heaven realms to the regions below and he's a deceiver he's a mocker he's an adversary he's a tyrant and he has this whole host of other fallen angels. Well, tell us about that part of the story. Well, that would be going way back in, and I'm not fully aware of that, but we've talked about that at times in this church. But the reality is there is a villain. There is a foe, and Satan is going to be dealt with in the end, as it says in Revelations 20. And so in this particular passage, what happens at this particular moment here, when the blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ, it's said in that scripture, Satan is bound. And he's bound for a thousand years. So he's dealt with at the coming of Jesus Christ. But then it goes on and says, When the thousand years are over, verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's their beautiful destiny. So what happens at the end of the thousand years for a brief period? We don't fully understand it. Seemingly, if we take it literally as scripture, some, some people say it's not to be taken literally, that kind of thing. But there is this reality that in the end, Satan is destroyed. You see, the part of the epic story about the villain, you need to understand. Because if you don't understand this, you are in a battle. You are in a fight. Scripture says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and evil forces in high places in Ephesians 6. And so we have to understand that part of this story has to deal with what's happening with Satan. And Satan is bound when Jesus Christ returns. He's briefly released at the end of the thousand years. And then he was destroyed, thrown into the burning lake 
of sulfur, him and the false prophet and others. But that's not all that's happening because we live in the presence of the future, right? So what about Satan now? What, what, what's the deal with the villain and how he attacks and deals with us now? Well, this is where the reality of the cross comes in so powerfully. Because at the cross, Satan was defeated. He was defeated at the cross. He'll be bound when he, Christ returns at the second coming. And then he'll be destroyed at the end of the millennium before the new heavens and the new earth all created. This is a part of what's behind the curtain. And you need to know what's behind the curtain as it relates to this aspect of Satan, not to dwell upon him. Maybe you even doubt that there is a Satan, but there is an evil angel, archangel that fell from heaven, Lucifer, all this kind of context. Scripture teaches, and he's wreaking havoc on this earth. In fact, Scripture says that he's like a roaring lion. But he's on a long tether, actually. And the reason he's on a long tether is because of the cross of Christ. And you need to understand this. That's why in Colossians 2.13, the Apostle Paul says this, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This has to do with the forgiveness of our sins. And we have to have the forgiveness of our sins to get into a perfect kingdom of God future. Because there is no sin, there is no darkness, there is no evil. So we've got to be dealt with. And it's not a, a rehab project for us. We need to become alive because we've been spiritually dead. That's why you need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. So he's given reference to this. But then he acknowledges that something happened here. Not just that your sins were nailed to the cross. But verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, you come back to the storyline. There it is. There it is. The flow. The redemption. Christ. The coming age into the present. And the adversary being dealt with. So when you're up against opposition... And you will sin, you will fall, you will struggle. There's the sinful nature, there's the ways of the world, but there's the direct attacks of the devil. You need to wake up and realize he's been defeated. And his destiny is secure. So why are you letting him mess with you? Why are you letting him mess with you? That's when Jesus, you know, he's talking to Peter about his, his death and his resurrection. And Peter said, oh, you can't die. You can't die. Messiahs don't die. And he looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Why? Because he wasn't calling Peter Satan. Jesus knew that Satan was putting that into the mind of Peter. And he knew what was happening to Satan long term. And he said, Satan, you will not do this. So how many of us today are struggling and wrestling with issues and situations in our life? That the villain is agitating. And you've become a, a Debbie Downer. You've become an Eeyore. Oh, it's never going to change. This is my lot in life. I might as well just go to bed. I'm so depressed. What? 
I'm sure we're all tired and we have depression states. I've had seasons of depressions, discouragements from things happening in the world. But friends, I have a villain and he's been defeated. I live on this side of the cross. He is going to be bound. He will one day be destroyed. He is not omnipresent, but he has his workers that can get around and wreak havoc. They're called unclean angels, dark demons, whatever you want to refer to them as. And I fight on my knees the spiritual warfare and say, get behind me, Satan. You will not win the victory today. In fact, this whole situation with my mother, it really is in the hands of the Lord. The Lord has numbered our days. We looked at a psalm that said that this summer. That every prayer I have now, I'm ending the prayer with, and Jesus, in your name, bring protection to my mom and make her heart strong. As it be your will. In bold confidence, because of what's behind the curtain, because of the bigger kingdom of God's story, the epic that's going on, I participate in my small chapter, my paragraph this week is being written in the context of the bigger paragraph, and God is going to be glorified. No matter what happens, he will be glorified. And maybe my mom gets reunited with her loved ones that have gone on before and anticipate us coming. I don't know. But in this day and age, whether it's a direct attack or the discouragement of just the natural forces of a circumstantial world, I am going to choose to live in light of the presence of the future. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. What's happening here? Do you know what's happening here? Jesus is bringing to this present earth that which is in the future. His full kingdom reign. And he is proclaiming the good news. But he's not just proclaiming the good news. He is healing and setting people free. Is it any wonder then when Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Hey, everybody gather around. I've got a job for you. It says in Luke 9, 1, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus is strategically teaching his disciples and teaching us today through his word and an understanding of the epic that we need to be doing something. Not sitting around in discouragement and depression and just letting, oh, fate will happen. We need to be storming the gates of hell. That's an offensive act. We are forward moving. We are taking and fighting spiritual warfare with divine weapons. And we are encountering our world, including our friends and our workplace and our school classrooms. With the authority that God has been given to us. Because Jesus Christ brought that power and authority through his defeat of Satan and his resurrection from the dead. And ultimately his defeat of death. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He not only told them to proclaim, he told them to demonstrate. And that's why he says he gave them. For he gave himself for us to redeem us, to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. What is the good that we are to do? It's the same thing that Jesus did when he was on this earth until he comes again. 
There was a proclamation. And there was a demonstration of the kingdom of God. The proclamation was a message of the kingdom of God. It's what I've been trying to do here for these few weeks. You with me? But it's also the demonstration of the ministry of the kingdom of God. Because if you have the proclamation without the demonstration, if you tell somebody Jesus loves you, wants to take care of you, but they're dying on the vine in that moment and you don't provide them food, then what good is the message without the ministry? And so in this day and age, we forward the kingdom of God by proclamation and demonstration, and that's our assignment as disciples of Jesus. And so we proclaim in a room like this, but then we commission you to go out into the highways and the byways of life and do the ministry of the Lord. To be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Go. I was talking to somebody right before service. They said, you know, I just feel God's part in my life right now is to help encourage this particular person where they're at on their spiritual journey. And I go, you get it. You got it. That's exactly what you're to do. You're doing the ministry, the demonstration of the kingdom of God. And so all of us, should not be just sitting around like sometimes the Christian church has done through prior ages. Go, well, I'm saved. (laughs) I'm glad I got my fire insurance and I'm not going to be going to that place no one wants to go to. And I'm just fine just doing my own thing. I'm just going to sit and whether Jesus comes back or I die and I go be with him, that's all good. Friends, that lackadaisical, indifferent, self-centered attitude is not what the community of the king is about. We're about forwarding the kingdom of God through proclamation and demonstration. And friends, yes, some of you are lovely at doing the ministry, helping, encourage the poor, mentoring, teaching. Maybe you're a mother and you're doing a great job with your kids. Dad, you're doing a great job as well with the kids. But sometimes you have to give the words. The message has to go with the ministry. And the message is a proclamation, and it's not a proclamation of condemnation, which is what our world thinks, right? It's a proclamation of the gospel, good news. Matthew 24, 14, I saw a poster was put out by our um, global missions table this week that has this verse on it. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The Christian Missionary Alliance movement we're a part of, the founder, A.B. Simpson, he believed that verse literally. That's why he mobilized missionaries to go to regions that were unknown. That's why we as a church still today as part of the Alliance movement seek to mobilize people to share the good news where it has never been heard or fully understood. Because when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to the whole world, then the end will come. We are ushering back the kingdom of God when we participate in the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom of God. This week, my son Levi, he got some tickets to go to the final night of America's Got Talent. And actually, he got to go to the last two nights. It's good he has connections in life. (laughs) His oldest brother works as the assistant to the president of Universal Television in Hollywood. 
And when she found out that Levi and his mom had tickets to go to America's Got Talent, she says, oh, you can't sit way up there. You need to sit down in the VIP seats. And that's exactly where he sat this week. Some of you watched the final episode finale of America's Got Talent. He was sitting actually in Howie's chair there. Could hit the red button. Made his day. Might have made his whole year. I'm not sure. He watches those shows on Netflix or wherever they're recorded all the time. I want to be on The Voice. I want to be on America's Got Talent. And there he was. And what was sort of special about the night, some of you know this, I won't, well, I will ruin it for you right now if you haven't watched it. There was a local young boy, young adult, who won the competition. He's from this valley, Cody Lee. He won the 14th season of America's Got Talent. And the thing about Cody Lee is he's got autism and he's blind. And some other special need kind of issues going on there, but God has given him a gift to be able to sit at a keyboard and play and to sing really well. And a little side note here with this, Joe was telling me earlier this week that Cody actually has sung in our own youth venue at the old building. He showed up one night, he was just there to hang out, watching his cousin sing on something, and then after the concert was over, he says, can I sing, can I play? And he started to sit down and play and sing. If you heard him, you can go Google it and watch the video of his, 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 his ability. You're going, oh my God. So hey, we gave host to Cody Lee before he became famous, just want you to know <laughs> going to have the worship team come up to close this, but I want to close with this thought concerning the kingdom of God. All of us have been given talents. All of us have been given spiritual gifts. And we need to be actively using those talents and those spiritual gifts to serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. So as we close the story of the epic, I have a direct forward challenge to you to realter and change your life, if need be, to help bring back the king. The community of the king in this day and age, in this present age, as we anticipate the age to come, that's our job, that's our responsibility, is to help bring back the king. To take his gospel through deed and word to every corner of our place that we have touch with. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the co-worker next door. Maybe it's a vendor that you have touch with. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a family member that's even estranged from you. Would you pray a prayer and say, God, who would you have me bring the hope, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to this fall? What do you want me to do for them? What are the words you want me to tell them? You know, we have Rooted coming up, which is a, a 10-week discipleship journey. And some people say, what's that all about? What do I do? I, you know, some of you could actually go and encourage somebody to do a radical move and go to a 10-week journey of discovering how to be rooted in Christ. People that have no faith, or they've walked away from their faith, or they're needing to grow in their faith. Maybe it's being a part of a, a life group and inviting them to that. Maybe it's, maybe it's just going out to lunch with them and hearing their story 
and let them know that there's another chapter that can be written in their story. You see, we don't have a talent stage to say, hey, everybody, come up here and show us your talents. Some of you feel real awkward if you were put on the stage of the Dolby Theater, right? Oh, my goodness, what would I do? But you stand on the stage of the kingdom of God. The curtain has been pulled back. You've been given a talent. America's got talent. The community of the king has talents. Are you using your talent to serve the purposes of the king? Whether on a Sunday morning, children's room, main room, on stage like these folks are, they, I, I don't care, but somehow we got to dig deep and figure out how to do this because we are called to bring back the king. And we are called into proclaiming the message and demonstrating the ministry until he comes. And friends, the desire is that we'd see more people like this being baptized, like we have the opportunity today at 3.30. Because now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. The kingdom has come in our midst. The present, the future has entered the presence. And we have the opportunity to give people hope. I can't comprehend a family meeting about hospice care if I didn't know my mom had the future of being with the Lord and I was going to be with But today, there's some loved ones that you have that you don't have that confidence and we better be about the business of loving them into the kingdom. Every seat could be full. Multiple services could happen if we devote ourselves to taking our talents to be used for the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. As we close with this, the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings on your connect card. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ, there's a place to mark that on the back. I'd love to pray and connect with you. A place maybe that say, hey, I need spiritual growth. Maybe there's a personal response you need to this message, to this series. Maybe your chapter needs to change and turn a different direction. It's only going to come about by you making that decision. There's a prayer area over here. Even during this song, you can meet with someone to pray through something that maybe you're struggling with or if you want to come to know Christ or maybe to pray for someone you want to see come know Christ and you just want to join with a partner in it. This is a ministry time as we close. Giving our praise and our offerings to the Lord. One of these days, we will throw down every crown he gives us at his feet and worship him in his full presence. But today we can worship because the future has entered the presence. We worship the King of Kings, shouting hosannas. So this is ministry time. Let's close with a strong celebration of the kingdom of God. And if you need to pray, you pray. Give your gifts and be determined to walk out of these doors to be fully alive into Christ, but also alive to his mission. The mission is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen.